This is episode 170 of the Relate podcast on breaking the tech chains with Seth Bunev. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and welcome to another episode of the Relate Podcast. Thank you so much for being here, where you are learning the latest and greatest information on how to improve your relationship with others through improving your relationship with technology. And today we have an amazing guest joining us. He has an amazing story. His name is Seth Bunev, and Seth was in his teens when the internet took over everyone's lives, including his own. Concerned about the impacts unfolding around him, he gave away his phone and laptop at age 17 and spent Four years offline, his book Screenfarers, Nurturing Deliberate Action in a Digital World, is a guide for parents and teachers on how digital media shapes the mind and how to help young people sail the sea of information with skill and intention, rather than becoming habitually distracted through passive surfing. This is a great episode. I really enjoyed talking with Seth a lot. We talk about the connection between depression and anxiety with digital media. We talk about how your brain structure is created by your experience and how a lot of young kids aren't experiencing much today. We talk about restructuring our minds, how to learn things in a focused way, gaining perspective from a break from tech, and what it was like for Seth traveling without access to technology. This is a great episode that I think will really resonate with you. If you like it, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, let us know your thoughts. So without further ado, let me please introduce our guest, Seth Bunev. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Relate Podcast. Today, our guest is Seth Bunev. Seth, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, I'm very excited to have you on the Relate Podcast. You are really coming into this world with a unique journey and a unique story that I'm very excited to dive into on the show today. You had this period of time where you weren't on technology, a computer, a, a phone for f about four years. And uh, I'm very excited to dive into this story about your, your experience with that, what led to that decision, what you learned from it. I think our listeners will really enjoy hearing from you today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. So I'm wondering if you could uh, just start off by sharing with us, you know, part of your story is that when you were 17 years old, you handed over your, your phone and laptop to opt for a life online. So I'm wondering if you could just describe your life prior to that. When you're a, a tween and a teenager growing up with this technology so prevalent in your life. 
Sure. So I I had I experienced the transition to uh, a really, really heavily digital life when I was maybe 12, 13 years old, kind of in the transition to high school. And for me, there was no middle school uh, where I live. So I had had this period of time where I mostly my world was books and kind of making stuff and crafts and friends and stuff like this. But then as about at about 13, I really saw the takeover of all of life by the internet. You know, uh, a friend of mine remarked at, at later on something to the effect of, do you remember when it used to have hobbies? And <laughs> it, it really was very characteristic of how if any people around me my age, if we had time, we spent it online. We spent it online doing different things, but and sometimes we did other things that weren't online, but it was really uh, extremely dominant of, uh, of the time that we spent. Over the kind of years, I started to sort of wonder whether this was necessarily the best thing, and that kind of came from two angles. One of them was just seeing my own inability to do some things, my sort of the way I disrupted my sleep habits, the way I would forget stuff, the way that I didn't know if I suddenly had to take a bus without looking up how to take a bus somewhere, then I didn't know what to do. <laughs> These kinds of things. Um, just seeing my own dependence on it was one thing that happened. And kind of also seeing this in other people around me. Of course, it's less less easy to see in other people, but there was just so much prevalence of kind of attention challenges and depression and these kinds of things in my peers. And I, and it seemed pretty connected uh, to just this like intense use of digital technology and, and the other things that come with that, like the sleep disruption. So there is that angle of uh, kind of seeing some of the negative, potential negative impacts of digital media. And then on the other hand, I have always been really fascinated with history and kind of historical ways of life. And when I was a young seven-year-old, my plan was to run away and live in the forest, which I kind of did later. But, um, <laughs> and I, I was, when I was just starting to be online all the time, I got so excited about like the age of sail and pirates and things like that. And so I've always been really drawn to these things and to fantasy novels, which, which often are set in these historical-esque worlds. And I really was starting to realize as I was seeing these effects on my mind that someone in a fantasy world or in a different period of history had a mind that worked so differently from the mind that I had developed through this constant inter interfacing with the internet. And I became really curious about what that's like. Like, what is it like to experience a world where you don't know that you have contact with anyone you know in your pocket, where you can't look up an answer, you have to go to a library or you have to go to a, an expert and talk to them. And so the combination of those two things, this kind of uh, perception of negative aspects and curiosity about positive aspects of the, the absence of those things sort of led to that decision. And it started, I didn't right away just immediately cut out all technologies. It was sort of a, a summer where I spent, I, I stopped Googling things for a summer, which was the beginning. And, and that was, um, I planned to stop using my computer and phone, but there were some things I kind of needed it for that summer. And even that was really interesting in how I got to see what would happen if I, instead of a question I think of going to Google straight away, I would think about it. 
I would maybe not get an answer or I would think around the question and then maybe I'd come across an answer and I'd remember it. I don't know. I, it was really interesting how different that was. Yeah. Well, I, I think I really love what you talk about, uh, about how people in the past or even in fantasy novels or, or movies, whatever it may be, that their minds operate in a different way. I think that's something that we've really begun to discover, I think, in the recent years, that this technology and our dependence on it and our excessive use of it is really altering our minds in, a, in at least some capacity. Yeah, and it's kind of, there's this funny thing I've noticed when reading the kind of psychological literature on what's happening and the sort of more like popular kind of reflections of the same ideas where somehow we, it's like we keep rediscovering the same thing over and over. And that thing is your brain structure is created by your experience. It is not that somehow there is like normal brain development and then somehow technology is coming in and like doing something weird to your brain development. Normal brain development is your brain structure is created by your experience. Whatever you are doing, your entire life is practicing things and it's creating habits and it's creating skills and those become invisible to us over time. But there, it's not like, it's not like this is unique that it's, this thing's affecting it. But, and yet there are all of these studies where they go, oh, okay, it looks like maybe this is implying that video games change how your brain works, but we're not sure. And then eventually one comes along and they're like, yes, this is happening. What a surprise. But <laughs> is it a surprise? I mean, I think we've known for a long time that this is how it works with so many things, whether it's technology or addictions or just learning um, impressive skills or whatever. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really good point that it really is so, so much of how we use technology has become part of our experience. And I mean, especially today and, you know, kind of going back to your story, I would love as you made that decision to withdraw yourself from this technological world, I'm wondering if you could share what that experience was like when you were offline. How did you adapt and how did you navigate others being so connected when you weren't as connected? Well, for one thing, part of the reason that this worked is, especially for the first year, I kind of lived in an environment where a lot of people weren't super offline and it, there was kind of an intentional reduction of kind of constant technology use. Um, I was at a school that was residential and kind of restricted cell phone use and stuff like that. So I did have this social environment where for, for a lot of people, to making such a decision would mean literally being unable to communicate with anyone or have social interaction at all. So I was very lucky in that I could still, I, I developed wonderful friendships and stuff during that time because I was in that environment. I would say that one thing is that I, I know for some people there's kind of an experience of, of this kind of uh, almost withdrawal symptoms, kind of craving to go back to those things. For me, especially because I was replacing it with things I was just loving and enjoying so much, I didn't experience that at all. Um, the challenge that I often encountered was other people's expectations mostly and other people, sometimes other people's incompetence with not being dependent on digital technology. So on the one hand, a lot of people didn't really understand why I would do this or wouldn't, you know, I would, I would not want to, I didn't even use phones like landlines even. At one point, my grandparents, I think, were quite offended that I didn't want to call my parents. And I was writing them letters with, you know, by hand, but they thought, you know, there was something wrong between us or something. 
I'm sure my parents struggled also with this kind of arrangement. They didn't know what country I was in and I was writing only letters to them. <laughs> and I guess like what what was the, for you, what was the purpose of going to those extremes? Because I'm sure there was some sort of reason or philosophy behind cutting out technology to that extent. Yeah, it was, I think a lot of, this was an attempt to reshape my mind and see what it would be like. Because going back to this thing of fantasy novels, I another thing, perhaps the most consistent thing I've wanted throughout my life is to be a writer. And for most of my life, I wanted to be a fantasy novel writer, essentially. And I would read books like the Earthsea Trilogy and Dune and stuff like this. And I, I, I had this kind of method approach to how I would become a fantasy writer which was that I really wanted to experience some of the kinds of things characters I might write about one day would experience. So that was actually a big part of it, perhaps even more of a part of it than the initial sense of unease around the effects this was having. But when I sort of saw a lot of the the sort of skills that had been missing come back and kind of developed this, like, co- this confidence in navigating the non-digital world, while then seeing an even sharper contrast with people around me who just didn't do that at all, that that kind of reinforced it and motivated me to keep going. And you said, and you had mentioned that you were also traveling while you were doing this. So, so where were you traveling? And because I, I imagine that the fact that you were traveling and likely meeting a bunch of different people, in some ways, it probably didn't feel like you needed the technology since you were having all these new experiences though I'm, I'm just drawing assumptions so I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit as well absolutely I think that was another thing I mean I had a year where I was in an environment where I didn't need it I had a, a, a lot of people I could interact with without uh, technological mediation and then I think you're absolutely right if I had been neither in that environment nor traveling I would have had a lot of trouble with basic everyday things that people now have you kind of structurally need to do you know if you're applying for a job if you're trying to contact your friends to arrange to meet up or something and I'd experienced how restrictive that how much it was impossible to get away from the sort of using technologies in high school for those reasons but because I was traveling it was quite a fascinating thing because yeah I could I was meeting people along the way so I had that interaction with people and in some ways the I think people helped me out more when I was traveling than they would have otherwise because I was doing the zany thing. Yeah. Where where did you travel to? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I was traveling mostly in Europe. I had kind of, the, the boarding school I went to was in England and it was international. So I met a lot of people in different places and that had been my plan, kind of. Uh, I was traveling around. I, I sailed a bit from Sweden to kind of Germany, Amsterdam, England. Oh, and then wow. I was mostly hitchhiking a lot. And that's pretty amazing. Of, and, and how old are you? Like 18, 19, 17? Yeah, I turned I turned 19 in, while hitchhiking. I that's think. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you probably learn um, a lot about yourself as a person going through those kind of experiences at such a young age. Yeah. And a lot about also just my misconceptions about the world, I think. I mean, my plan for traveling had originally been to walk. Um, and I had been warned about how... Um, you know, the books I'd read about people who walked across Europe in the 30s, well, it's changed a lot since then. There are a lot more suburbs and a lot more places you can't sleep and things you have to walk through. So I kind of mostly, I did walk a bit. I did walk for several days in different places. But yeah, 
so there was that. And one thing that was really interesting about the way I was traveling and how that interacted with lack of technology was that there were moments where I had absolutely no idea where I was um, because I was hitchhiking and I was dropped somewhere and I didn't know what county I was in. and I just had to kind of go and walk around and find people and ask them things and and that was kind of cool I also had started out with no map when I was in England and the UK and the Wales I would basically go into each town had a little bookstore and those bookstores had uh, sort of maps of different areas and the whole country roadmaps and I just look and say okay you know I have to take this road and then that road and that'll get me more or less where I'm going and then I would just try and remember that. <laughs> but that didn't work when I was not in the UK anymore. In Europe, I got in trouble with that strategy. <laughs> well, what's, what's amazing about what you're saying are that these are skill sets that nobody or very few people exercise nowadays. And I mean, especially talking about 17, 18, 19-year-olds, It's I, I'm sure there are, are you know young adults out there who do do that. But they're, you know, few and far between. So it's amazing that you had not only this experience of letting go of technology and restricting yourself with regards to technology, but on top of that, you also traveled during that that time as well. So I think that is a fascinating and I imagine very life-changing impact to kind of combine those two things together. Yeah, it was interesting kind of towards the end of this period of time how I had re- I had so thoroughly, you can never truly reshape the foundation of your mental experience. You know, once you've experienced something, you can't unexperience it. But nonetheless, after these years of, of uh, being offline, my assumptions about the possibilities of the world and what I could and could not do had really changed. I had, there were moments where to anyone else, it would have been obvious that I could have used a device for something to solve a problem I had, and it just did not occur to me at all that that was a possible thing that I could do. And so I had to kind of figure out other ways of doing it, which was, I think that was really interesting, and I think it was really a valuable thing to learn from. On the other hand, kind of going back to what I was saying about other people's expectations and not and their not being used to this type of thing, there were a lot of moments where yeah, that that became a problem, like where I turned, you know, I turned up without calling someone. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what, <laughs> they what are For example, and uh, there were also times where I, I would ask for directions. And often a lot of the time when I would ask for directions, people would look up directions for me. And sometimes they would actually look it up and get it wrong. They had Google. And they gave me the wrong directions. (laughs) And then I would walk for ages and then realize I had to try again. And sometimes I had to ask a few people and kind of triangulate what was most likely to be correct. And also when I was trying to visit people, they would often, because they're used to this paradigm of, oh, you know, you can always phone if you don't know where it is and just get guidance at the last minute. uh, They didn't know how to give me directions that would really take me, they would give me all the information I needed to find where they were. So there were a lot of moments where I had to basically walk around in a in a city where i didn't speak the language and ask people to let me borrow their cell phone to phone my friend at like right before i because i was in the city and couldn't find their house which sometimes people were nice about that but sometimes they were 
pretty like aggressively angry at me for some reason it was <laughs> it's really weird they're like you're trying to steal my information or they thought i was homeless and like gave me some money and walked away quickly <laughs> wow interesting yeah. interesting well it 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 goes to show like how much technology has embedded itself into our everyday way of being and living where someone like yourself who didn't have access to technology and was kind of going up to people and and trying to navigate just you know with the resources that you did have on hand that's seen as unusual or or different it's it's very interesting to to look at it from that perspective i even occasionally had people get upset at me who who themselves really agreed with my position and really thought that overall that they were not happy with the impacts of these things but kind of were like well i've i've made the sacrifice of do of dealing with this technology like can you not inconvenience other people and just you know suck it up interesting <laughs> um, which was it was interesting that even people who i thought you know pretty much agreed with me kind of would sometimes not be very understanding like that but yeah so you have this experience then of I, I guess you were saying that it's it was about four years where you don't have a phone a laptop it, you know I guess give or take a, a little bit of time so when was the time that came when you were like okay I'm going to bring technology back into my life and and what was it like returning to that after a good period of time without it hmm well what really kind of started to uh, where I started to make compromises where it was where I really I was tired of certain restrictions I'd had to accept for this to work. I, I really had this kind of dream of being able to learn things with other people in a focused way. And I tried to kind of arrange that by gathering people interested in things that I was interested in and kind of creating our own like learning group or something. But the reality was everyone's busy. No one has time for that stuff the place that people go to learn things is university and universities are basically just all computers now you can't really go and read books anymore i mean right now exactly like entirely but at the time i realized i would be on computers half of the day every day if i went to university so that was one element and even a little before that i started getting more serious about my writing and i started writing a lot I you know hundreds of pages of kind of essay drafts by hand and stuff and I realized you know okay do I ever want to submit this anywhere you know maybe I need to start typing things so and then as I was kind of I wasn't traveling especially as much towards the end and I needed to find ways of paying rent and stuff like that so I had to send emails to apply for jobs I, I kind of include the last year in the four because I was pretty much just sending emails to apply to jobs and typing my writing. So it's kind of not the whole package of Google, social media, right, everything. Right. And one thing that was interesting was that because I had spent so long offline, I could kind of have a fresh start where I said, I'm going to use it for this thing. And I only used it for that thing. And it was not hard to maintain that sort of barrier and avoid being distracted into other stuff. But when I started going to school and I had a lot of mandatory uses of quite a variety of things all at the same time, and I was forced to join Facebook because otherwise you can't go to any events or find out about them and all of these things, I, that really started to break down my 
my kind of attempt to to kind of control what things were what I was doing or not doing with digital technology and and some of the kind of mental habits and barriers that I liked that I had created and in some ways I think that that frustration is part of what my book emerged out of was having kind of had a lot of time to try and understand how these things had changed my mind how I could change it in other ways and then seeing those gains I had made slipping away from me because I just wanted to go to school and meet people my age again and learn, be able to study some history and things like that. I started to try and be more methodical in how I could, prov would it be possible to be in that environment and still kind of hold my ground on things that I wanted to and what would that look like? And then that combined with things I was studying was kind of, you know, in, in psychology and history and uh, in education and curriculum design was kind of where that whole project came together from. I, I could absolutely relate to you when it comes to almost being forced into this world. Up until a couple years ago, I didn't have a smartphone. And so even though I wasn't, I like I, I never took like a complete break from technology or anything like that, uh, but I was very hesitant about getting a smartphone for such a long time. And there was a long period of time where I didn't have one, but everyone else did. And I feel like when I finally got one, because my phone died a very slow and painful death, <laughs> you know, I decided because I had one of those keyboard phones. And at the time it was either get a smartphone or get a flip phone. And I didn't want to get a flip phone because uh, it takes way too long to text with regards to like having to press each button more than once, like three times to get one letter. So I went with the smartphone, but yeah, there's this moment of being like, Oh, you know, is this, is this what I really want? Am, am I actually missing out by having this technology now? You know, I, I think it's interesting kind of analyzing this relationship. And I mean, especially in your case where you spent a good chunk of time without it, now, just judging from that experience, I know in a lot of ways it would probably be very difficult to do something like that, especially now with the pandemic and everything. But would you recommend this sort of thing to other people? Would you say that it's possible? Yeah, I, I do recommend it. And I think you don't need to spend four years to have a lot of gains in perspective and kind of... Um a useful distance that you can take. I mean, just a week is, is even a very substantial experience for someone who hasn't done that. A, a huge part of, I think, what the benefit is, is in addition to a kind of a fresh start in reshaping your habits, if you so choose to do that, it's it's an opportunity to really experience the time that there, time in the way we experienced it before the invasion of technology into our lives. And, and really get bored and realize what things you can do other than those things and kind of develop, I don't know, uh, new interests and new kinds of ways of relating to things. And I think that's a huge part of why, I think a huge part of why a lot of kids are so glued to all of these devices is that uh, they just don't have very many other experiences. I mean, kids are pretty excited about uh, a lot of things that are not technology, if they have the encounter, like if they can go make bows and arrows and sit around a campfire, they're probably not going to be like glued to uh, the latest iPad game. But 
the combination of just the the presence of technology taking those experiences away and the sort of we're we have a very cautious culture around kids right now i mean i work in a an outdoor nature school with pretty young kids and we have to be so careful about every safety thing and i know that that's kind of a the general um sort of situation in in like parenting right now is that often if anything often we're kind of going too far in terms of protection and safety um in ways that are like guaranteed to be harmful to development in some ways yeah so i guess that opportunity to experience other things and even boredom <laughs> is so valuable i think and so i definitely do i do recommend it and so with with that said, I know you mentioned this a little bit before. I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit more about your book and how people can avoid becoming so distracted online, because I know that's something that the book explores a lot. Yeah, so my book kind of started with this question of why why are sort of digital technologies so alluring and why are they so why are they so uh, good at making us form habits and what are the kind of impacts this can have and what can you do on a practical level as an individual who's concerned about their own habits or I kind of focused it towards educators and parents because I think that's right now perhaps the key place to, that these ideas need to be because uh, you know kids are more deeply affected by these habit forming uh, uh, experiences than adults and I think we have a responsibility to them to prepare them for this world that is so aggressively trying to monetize their attention so I was trying to start from this thing of what what can you do on a practical level as an individual with no support from outside with no school board saying we're gonna put this curriculum in with no you know government policies or whatever no no community kind of agreements that are gonna support those things and so that was really what I tried to explore with the book. And I tried to kind of weave in uh, an understanding of how the people who design digital interfaces think about them, particularly the people who are designing them to make a profit by making you, tr encouraging you very heavily to stay on as long as they can, which I think is starting, since I started writing my book, it's starting to get more attention on this as an issue because you know, the social dilemma came out and there have been these different things drawing attention to it, but I, I, I go through the basics of how uh, people designing these things think about it, and then I create kind of a framework for thinking about the impacts that sort of takes the way the designs are made and then provides ways of kind of countering them as an individual. And that also, I hope, is, is useful for kind of separating the need to do something about this from the need for there to be perfect peer-reviewed studies about exactly what the impacts are and what you can do about it. Because the reality is that psychology is having a replication crisis. Peer-reviewed studies take years and years. A lot of the methodologies kind of suck if, of the studies that I've read. And the, the current way we do science is not great at understanding what goes on inside of the mind because we take the mind as something that can't be objectively observed because if you're observing your mind you're an individual no one else can see it so we can't verify that we can't really trust it as evidence but we can observe our own minds and we can have and 
whereas psychology might give us really fascinating insights about the average or the mass effects on groups of people, it can't tell us anything about our own internal experience and how what new experiences we're having are interacting with the other things that we've structured through our past experiences. So I've tried to kind of create a framework for thinking about these impacts that counters the frameworks used in order to try and cultivate compulsive behavior and provides uh, ways of undermining those things. And then I've kind of built out of that various exercises and tried to make them sort of things that would be fun for kids to do in the way that I've presented them, but you could take out the kind of more silly, playful, fun things if you're doing it with older kids or undergraduates or something. Yeah, so that's been the, that's the overall thing, that uh, the frameworks for thinking about it, the, the exercises, and then some context of the, the economic, the historical, the cultural reasons that we're here, and, and little like jumping off points to just think about the bigger picture and how that ties into pretty much all of the really big philosophical and, and kind of existential questions of our time, I think. And I've tried to kind of weave all those things together with some fun illustrations and metaphors about pirates so <laughs> that's great <laughs> i mean right in line with with what you were talking about earlier with regards to these fantasy characters and stories and i i think that that metaphor pairs quite nicely actually and i think this this book you've created it's a great not only manual for people out there looking to figure out their relationship to technology but it's also a good reflection too on your experience of distancing yourself from this world that so many of us live in nowadays and i know you spoke to this a little bit earlier but i'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on the effect that this experience had on the relationships of you know, the people that you're close to. How did being off technology affect your relationships? Hmm. Well, so there were there were some relationships that a, a lot of really close friendships I had started when I was off technology. And so that was the environment they existed in. And I think in some ways that allowed me to form closer relationships than I had before. There was an interesting dynamic with my family because I was away so much and then sometimes I would come back and sometimes it was a bit challenging to be the one person who was totally offline because I would be, say, visiting for a month and perhaps really missing my friends and a lot of things about the place I left to come visit and say, okay, well, here I am, I'll spend time with you, that's why I'm here, but then even though I was giving my full attention, I wasn't always getting full attention of my friends and family members because sometimes there's phones and computers and things. And that really was, uh, that wasn't very fun. And, <laughs> but I think there were some really kind of wonderful things about that ability to go so far away and and have that distance and, and feel the distance. Um, that was something I, th I kind of had thought about when I, you know, if, even before I had totally gone offline, when a friend moved away and I knew I had this plan and I realized, you know, I, I don't know when, if ever, I will ever see you again. I'm not going to see you on Facebook. You know, this is, it, it's, it's like, it's almost this dying experience of, of uh, just losing contact with someone that 
has inspired so much literature. I mean, all of the letters and the, the kind of, you know, poems and things that have come out of that experience throughout time, there's so many. And yet I think, and, and yet while it's not necessarily a happy experience, it's kind of a beautiful one in a certain way. And it was interesting to just see how that's, uh, yeah, in decline. And those are my main reflections, I think, on my relationships. I, I think in some ways uh, the writing letters was really, really fascinating in how it kind of, it really condenses a lot of things. You can't just, you can't nag over a letter. You can't kind of irritate each other. You really have to kind of <laughs> beautifully condense all the things that are happening. And I really enjoyed that. And I feel like that in some ways deepened relationships when, when we managed to keep the letter exchange going. Well, yeah, I, it's, I, I think it's interesting just, you know, hearing this story and, and Seth, I, I cannot thank you enough for, for taking the time to be on the show today. And, and not only for taking the time, but as I mentioned before, I, I just really appreciate the work that you're doing. I think it's great to have someone out there talking about these things who really had this extended period of experience away from technology and then mix in the travel with that as well adds this amazing component with regards to how, you know, we communicate with one another, how we build relationships. So thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Can I actually throw in one last comment I'd like to make? Oh, please do. Please do. I just want to mention something that my book doesn't do very well and that I hope in future to work on, which is in focusing really on this individual, things that individuals can do, it doesn't really tackle the the community level aspect. And that is so important and I think more important, honestly. And uh, But it's harder to deal with because as an individual, you can make your choices but you can't control what people around you do. They have to all be aware of the same issues and we have to all agree together about things. But I'm really excited to be working with a group of, uh, of people through an organization called Turning Life On that uh, yes. uh, are trying yes. to create, yes, which actually you know, Adrienne, um, yep. and we're trying to create a, a school curriculum that, or not a curriculum, but a, a program that can go into schools and basically create community level ways of addressing this where teachers and admin and parents and uh, students all get together and they talk about their concerns with how technology is impacting their community and their school and come up with ways of collectively shifting the situation to what they would prefer you know seeing okay have we totally abandoned some aspect of social infrastructure and forced everyone to be dependent on facebook or on whatever do we want that can we create something else like i think that direction the general direction of that sort of coming together and really uh at a level of face-to-face groups of people who know each other and interact and are shaping each other's lives figuring out solutions to these things i think that's the most important level to address it because there's so much gray area between there's no there's no lines between good and bad technology uses that we can draw and like expect big tech to somehow you know, magically uh, become all perfect or something. There's no really, it's so hard to define these things in a way that can be legislated any in any top-down sense. And that individual sense 
if you're just by yourself, you're constantly having your efforts eroded by everyone around you all the time. It takes so much effort and it's probably not worth it for most people to do that. But if we all understand what's going on, we can do stuff together. And so I think that's an important thing to bring up too. Yes, I, I think adding in this communal aspect is of the utmost importance. And ex it's exciting to to hear that you and Adrian are working together to to you know try, try to make this happen as well. Where can our listeners find out more about you, all the great work that you're doing, your book, uh, screen, it's Screenfarers, right? Yes. The best place right now is screenfarers.com. Uh, and anything that is happening uh, will be up there. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure to include the link to that in our show notes. So listeners out there, all you have to do is scroll down in our show notes, check out Screenfarers. I, I highly recommend it. I I feel that it's an engaging way to learn about this topic and to learn firsthand from Seth uh, about you know his experience as well. And so, Seth, I have one last question for you before we part ways today, and that's how do you believe we as a society can better relate to one another? Hmm. I think... Uh... I think probably my answer to that would be pretty much what I said about the looking at this at a community level. I think really being able to examine how our relationships to technology are affecting people around us and how we could uh, kind of shift that to what we want it to be. I think that's probably my, my, big, my big thing to answer with that. I think that there's something really valuable about looking at our social interactions and our time with other people as sort of a common resource and something that in some ways is being really exploited right now and that we need to come up with ways of protecting. That's a great answer. I absolutely agree with that. I'm all about really uh, relishing and, and protecting that time with the people that we care about most. So I, I couldn't have said it better myself. So Seth, thank you so much again for joining us on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's been fun. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.